person who's going to share with us today, I'm so grateful for him. Uh, Britt and Audrey Hancock, I've known them for 20 years, and they're, they have been an incredible blessing to Amy and I and our lives and our family, and uh, they, they have really invested in us over the years. Um, many of the things that I believe about mission work, about missionary uh, efforts around the world, were shaped and formed in, in dialogues over the years with, with Britt Hancock. And I'm so grateful for that because I, I think our church needs to be involved in what's going on around the globe, not just in Austin. We don't, we don't need a my, myopic or tunnel vision uh, to, to, to view the way the kingdom of God works. It does need to happen here in Austin, but we also need to be in touch with what Jesus is doing around the world. And so we're partnering with their ministry. It's called Mountain Gateway. And Mountain Gateway is a, is a mission work that recruits and trains and places, and then pastors, missionaries. And uh, we support them. You're, if you give to one chapel, you already support them. And, uh, and they are a blessing both to our church. Their base is here. You won't see them around all the time, but they'll be here for a while. Then they're out. I think the next place, uh, where's the next place you're going? Britt, are you going to Nicaragua, or where, where are you headed to? Can't remember. He's been in Africa, Nicaragua, Mexico. Uh, there are several different places, Guatemala. And so there are several um, places where people uh, are in, in, the, in the mission work. And so uh, he's going to be a blessing to us today. He has a little bit of an accent, but you'll get used to it as he begins to speak. And so I want you to give a huge welcome to my friend, Britt Hancock. Good morning, bounced over to the afternoon. How y'all today? Great. I'm good too. I think I'm good. We'll find out how nice I am to you while I'm preaching. Pastor Ross is a great influence in my life and, and um, he helps me be more pastoral. See, see my smile? He's helping me have a smile. <laughs> uh, we've been dear friends for a long time, and, and I'm so thankful to, for long-term relationships. Um, we haven't always been in the same location, but, you know, when you got to do things long distance, it takes a lot of effort. And uh, so I appreciate his willingness to do that. Their family, they're a great blessing. Um, to the Hancocks. Uh, let's see. I'm supposed to share something out of this book. You know what? Just to get things straight, I'm really narrow-minded. My mind is about that thick right there. See that right there? And it's because it's such a great, great, great sample for us to follow and if we follow it it won't lead us astray it is the best in this book are the best ideas and philosophy and worldview in the history of the world and I know that sounds exclusive because it is and we're going to talk about some of that today Right out of this book. So let's make a deal. You don't got to listen to me if it's not in the book what we're going to talk about. And you really shouldn't listen to anybody if they can't prove to you that it's here. But if it is here, then, you know, we still can disagree. But that won't change the truth. The truth is an awesome thing. And so, you know, our society is kind of deteriorating and running down the road of tolerance. But I'm concerned that we're tolerant of everything but the truth. And so, um, we do claim that this is the best idea right here. And so, what I want to talk to you about today is opportunity. Um, that's the title of today's sermon. I want everybody to say, problems are opportunities. Problems are opportunities. Say it again, problems are opportunities. Problems are opportunities. 
just think of that. Just what if, if you could figure out how to think of all your problems and all these negative circumstances. You know, some of the circumstances that you're in are a result of your probably not wise decisions. And then some of them have just come on your life and you're innocent. You can't do anything about them, right? Irregardless of what the origin of the problem was or is, Every problem is an opportunity. And just imagine, what if you could think in your mind and your heart that all your problems and all the circumstances in your life, if you could see them as opportunities, do you think your quality of life, at least internally, would increase or decrease? Increase. So what we're, got, what we're talking about is a good thing. It's a, it's a thing toward health and not toward sickness. Right? Okay, and so the way we see all these opportunities, the way we see these problems, um, whether good or bad, whether we think they're opportunities or something to, that we're trying to escape from, that has everything to do with our mental outlook, our attitude. So I want to start with, uh, actually, Pastor Ross wants me to start with Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. So that's where we'll start. <laughs> he told me to preach this verse, so um, the, I'm a good friend, and I love him, and so I'm trying to have a good attitude about that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, it says, Devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Boy, what a great verse. You know, if we can just do this, we can, we can solve lots of issues inside. And so, there's four ideas in this verse. And they're really big ideas. The first is devotion. The second is prayer. The third is watchful. And the fourth is thankful. Okay, and of all these things, of all these four things, one of them is an attitude. The last one. And you know, the Bible, all through the Bible, God tells us, be thankful. Give thanks. What he's saying is, be a grateful person. In every circumstance, you know, it says, give thanks in every circumstance that we find ourselves. It doesn't, the Bible doesn't teach us, sometimes we're confused about that and we think, I'm supposed to thank God for every circumstance. But there are some circumstances that thank you very much. I'm not really prone to thank, be thankful for. But it's a different idea to be thankful in every circumstance. That we can do. And if we sort of try to engage with God to get Him to help us, Gain this attitude if we're looking through the grid of thanksgiving at everything that happens, it changes the way we view people and circumstances. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand there can be some bad circumstances. I'm not thanking God for bad circumstances. So when God says be thankful in everything, what's he really talking about? Well, he's talking about, look, let's read this. Romans chapter 8. Let's go there real quick. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. So, how many of you have ever heard this Bible verse or read this Bible verse maybe one time? All things works together for the good of those who love Him. Right? I mean, a lot of times that's our attitude because we're like, oh, I don't see how this is helping. I don't like this. <laughs> right? Me, I've been there. A whole bucket full of times. No, probably a whole train load full of times. And there's probably some more coming. So what's he talking about? What he's saying is, 
He's not saying that all the bad, horrible things sometimes that come on us, come on us are from him. What he is saying is there is nothing that can, that can happen in your life that can outpower God's ability to use that for your good. To use it to produce something positive in your life from an eternal standpoint. Right? And what's the context? The context is for, for those that God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son. And that really is what God is after. He wants us to be conformed to His likeness. Okay, so what do I mean? How many of you have ever prayed for patience? Wave at me. Everybody's laughing. See, I don't have to explain or talk because we know, oh, that's like one of the worst things you can ask God for. Not having patience. <laughs> we want to have patience, but we want to go, God, power encounter, please beam me up, Scotty, just make me patient. I don't want to have to go through anything that requires patience to be patient. <laughs> right? <laughs> but how is it that God develops patience in us? Actually, it, it, really, it, it really is an attitude because, you know, how many of you ever had maybe one problem in your life? Raise your hand. Okay, okay, let's just run another test. Before you got saved, you may have one problem. Somebody raise your hand. Okay, about half of you are liars. Okay, so before you got saved, you had problems. After you got saved, you have a problem. Yes, so life is a problem, right? And life is full of opportunities for God to help us have patience then, right? Oh, why do you got to look at it like that? The glass is half full. That's how come. Right? Be thankful in every circumstance. Oh, this is really uncomfortable. Let me see. What about this can be positive? Maybe I see the door cracking a little bit. A little bit of positive leaking in them. I see where, you know what? The things that it will take for me to make it through this. Those things will be positive. How about perseverance and patience and trust? And it's to our benefit if we get stuck in a situation that require godliness to help us make it through. Because that's our opportunity. You see? It's, it's like that old thing. You know, you can't get a job without experience. And you can't get experience without a job. So, uh, how you do that? Right? You can't get this stuff without problems. We cannot be conformed to the likeness of the Son of God without having problems. Bummer. So, if life is a problem, we cannot... Has there ever been anybody that's ever successfully avoided their problems? Not even a monarch. Y'all remember Michael Jackson? No, no, really. You know, he slept in a, um, an oxygen tent that was supposedly germ-free. And he was paranoid about germs. And he was worth, they say, about $1 billion. His estate and everything that, you know, he was at one time one of the highest paid entertainers. And he tried to use his influence his fame and his money to avoid problems and he couldn't do it nobody can avoid problems and so since they're gonna come don't you think the best policy is to be thankful is to have a good attitude about that because that will help you sort through your problems in the best way possible is, is that idea does everybody agree with that idea yeah. How come? Thankful. Attitude is the thing that determines whether we get bitter or we get better. Have you ever been around a sour person? Nobody likes it, right? Their sour just gets on you and everybody around them. They're not pleasant to be around. 
Right? What makes them sour? Their attitude. Their stinking thinking. Right? Attitude is the thing that determines whether we come to the bitter end or whether we engage in a better beginning. Your attitude, the way you think about that. If we can be grateful and we can be thankful, then circumstances lose their power to control our lives. Okay, so that's more than conqueror's verse. This is awesome. Let's jump down to verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, everybody say things. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And what we think is this verse is a promise that all the circumstances are going to go away. That we can dominate the circumstances. As a matter of fact, surely there should be some way to manipulate gifts, talents, anointing, fruit, and the power of God to avoid circumstances that we don't like. I mean, I'm guilty of thinking that way and, and yelling amen at the preacher who preaches and makes me think that I can do that. Am I saying that God is not into changing circumstances? No, I'm not. He does change our circumstances. He does have mercy. He does have power. That's what healing and miracles and signs and wonders are all about. I, I believe in that stuff. Seen a pile of it. All right, but this right here, this more than conquerors, we want to be like the superhero guy that smashes the problem and makes it go away, and we don't have to change inside who we are. Because, you know, gifts and talents and anointing, that, those, everybody's got them. That's like the clothes we wear. But the internal man is what God is after. The context here is, I want you to be transformed by the likeness of, of my son in the likeness of my son so circumstances are coming what God is interested in is hey look at you you're exhibiting patience because you have to see that because the existence of problems and circumstances don't have the power to cancel the existence of the love of God see see listen to this list but in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor death, depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ our Lord. And sometimes we think that that's a promise of rescue from. No, it's a promise of empowerment within. See that? Give thanks in every circumstance. Because those circumstances can't sever you from the love of God. Albeit, sometimes those circumstances tarry a really long time before they change. Is anybody identify with this? You know, it's, it's like expecting that serving God is just going to make everything poof, be good. And Jesus tells his disciples, get in the boat and go to the other side. And what they run into in the middle of the night. A storm. But God, I'm scared. And I'm in danger. And this is uncomfortable. And I thought serving you would not lead me to be in this situation. And Jesus is going, be thankful. Because there's something in it somewhere that can work my likeness in you if you'll just see it. So let's examine the scripture just a second. Because you know what? Nobody's really a victim of their circumstances ever. We are victims of our attitude about our circumstances. Do you see that? And if we can change that, all right, what, what does the scripture say in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations. What's he talking about? He's talking about stinking thinking. He's talking about wrong thinking. He's talking about bad attitudes. You know, there's lots of problems in the world caused by bad attitudes. 
Selfishness drives many bad attitudes. And selfishness causes much pain and destruction in this world. Mexico has got an, a, a, a government that is saturated with corruption. You know what's at the bottom of that corruption? You know what drives that corruption? Selfishness. <laughs> and bad attitudes. If they weren't selfish, then there wouldn't be corruption in the government. So is selfishness a big deal? Yes. Is attitude a big deal? Oh, yes. It's a really big deal. And God's saying, be thankful. Be grateful. Grateful. Grateful for? No. Grateful in. And the key to being grateful in is, wow, opportunity. Everybody say problems, opportunity. Problems are alternate routes to solutions. Smile when you say it. I grew up in the church and, and, and I went to kids' church and my kids' pastor, Rick Berlin, used to say, attitude check. And then we would all scream, praise the Lord. And all the people said, amen. What's he talking about? Attitude, attitude, attitude. Where are we? Attitude, okay. Attitude check. And all the people said, Woohoo! Ross said, We need to have more parties. I'm being a cheerleader today. And I'm smiling. I'll pray for your toes after I smash them all. God will heal you. <laughs> Look, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 and 9, God. Is saying, hey, I make this really cool garden and I'm going to put two trees in it. There's a whole bunch more in there beside that, but there were two that really mattered. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Oh, oh. Have you ever read it about anything and you thought, I wish God hadn't have done that? I'll tell you one I, I, I frequently come to grips with is there's this little verse in Luke that says that when you're out preaching the gospel, you've got to eat what's set before you. And I do that in, in foreign countries, and there's some weird stuff out there that I've had to eat. And I, I'm going to talk to them about that when I get to heaven. Why did you write that and put that in there and make me have to do that? And one of those things is this tree of knowledge of good and evil thing. I wish he hadn't done that. I really do. But guess what? My wishful thinking is not going to change have it, have it, that, the, the fact that it happened. So I make a decision to figure out, what, what's that about? So there were two trees in the garden. And what was that about? That's about an opportunity to obey. You see that? He threw that opportunity out there. And what happened? Did they obey or did they not obey? They didn't obey and sin entered the world. Oh, bummer. So some people want to turn and look at God and say, if you hadn't put that tree, that other tree in there, we wouldn't be in this mess. Right? Is that the right attitude to have? Or can we look and go, wow, you know what, our mistakes, they made a big mistake. But you know what that mistake did? That mistake created another opportunity called redemption. So out of that horrible mistake they made some wonderful things came to be that weren't previously in existence there was no reason for redemption before the fall of man but is redemption a wonderful thing yes man's failure was in in the hands of god and his power created redemption so man's failure was god's was redemption's opportunity you see that how about this one? Genesis 3.1. Temptation. The serpent comes. Did God really say? No, He didn't. And He presented an idea to her that she previously didn't have. And He made it look appetizing, right? And so, what was that temptation? Oh, if, if God just hadn't let that, the devil inhabit the serpent and go talk to her, we wouldn't have this problem. But you know what that was? That temptation was an opportunity to resist. And then she didn't. So that caused sin to come into the world. And right on the heels of that, when God was pronouncing the curse of sin, 
He also gave the promise of His Son to come to break the curse. Redemption again. And that's so good for us because when we cave to temptation, Jesus ensures that as long as we're breathing, we have another opportunity that the next time temptation comes, we get a chance to resist. Everybody say opportunity. 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 How about this one? How about Noah, the story of Noah? This is in Genesis 6. Do you know that it says that all of the thoughts of mankind were only wicked and intentions of their heart were only wicked all the time. And if you really look at that, it means there was nothing redeeming in their thoughts, their attitudes, or their lifestyle. It was pure, 100% dark wickedness. And that's why God said, okay, it's over. i got to push the reset button. I'm going to kill everybody because there's nothing of myself in them left. But you know what? The wickedness of mankind was Noah's opportunity to be found blameless. You see that? I don't like where our society's going. Our society's going downhill. It is deteriorating. It is degrading. We're losing values. We can't stand up and say the truth and all these things. But you know what? That's our opportunity to be different. That's our opportunity to show the life of God. I don't like church. You know, everybody loves God, but, but nobody likes his family. That's how the, go, the saying goes, right? Ah, oh, just a bunch of hypocrites. I don't like the church. Well... The fact that those, there's a bunch of hypocrites is our opportunity not to be one. Not take our hammer out and beat all the hypocrites up. Because if we cannot be a hypocrite around a hypocrite and do it with a thankful heart, we engage and unlock the power of God and then they start deciding maybe they shouldn't be hypocritical either. See, that's how it works. But this attitude that we engage, you know, there's a lot of people that know Bible verses. There's a lot of people that know pray, that, that pray with devotion. But their attitudes stink. The scribes and the Pharisees, you know, the, the only people that Jesus was really treated aggressively, sometimes he was mean to them, he was rude to them, were the people that had religious devotion, that prayed religiously, but their attitudes stank. 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 Stunk. Sinked. How do you say that? Stunk. Their attitude stunk. You're an English teacher. Help me. Stunk. Their attitude stunk. So, devotion, prayer, watchful. You can have all those things with the wrong attitude. And it makes you the scourge of the world instead of the light of the world. One difference. All the practices can be the same. But when we don't have the right attitude, it turns us into enemies of God when we think we're the army of God. See that? The wickedness of mankind gave Noah the opportunity to be found blameless. And then Noah's righteousness was an opportunity to demonstrate deliverance. It's bad. I don't like the bad that there was there. Right? How about Joseph? Y'all know the story of Joseph? Joseph, full of God, gifted. Never, ever did Joseph exhibit a bad attitude. Some people try to give him a bad attitude. Some people try to imbibe and overhumanize him. But it doesn't say that he ever had a bad attitude. The only example about Joseph is good. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was betrayed. And then he was a slave, and he did so good as a slave, he got himself in trouble, and he got thrown into prison and forgotten about. Right? But you know what? That betrayal was an opportunity for forgiveness and salvation and deliverance. Because God needed him at that place at that time to save not only his family from the seven-year famine, but millions of people in Egypt and really that part of the world. Because God needed somebody there that was going to see, that was going to learn how to use their gifts and be tempered 
and seasoned in prison and to see and understand and feel the gifts of God flowing and become mature so that he had the capacity to understand God's plan to save millions of people. God gave him a logistical plan, you know, what to do with the harvest and what to do during the years of famine. It was betrayal that set that opportunity up. You see that? How about Moses? Forty years in the desert gave Moses an opportunity for an incredible encounter with God that changed history. Think about it. Man, Moses, he, he went from, from Pharaoh's household to poking smelly sheep on the backside of the desert. How could, right? Y'all been around sheep. And y'all, raise your hand, you been around a sheep. Does it stink or not? They stink. All right? And so he's out there in the desert, and what's he doing? You know, that, that's what the Charlton Heston thing did, a little bell clinging on his. You know what I'm saying? That's not very dignified. Forty years? Forty years. Because God wanted him to be in that place at that time. And 40 years of the desert set him up for that. That was his opportunity. The mountain that God showed up on was out there on the back side of the desert. It was not in Egypt. And there was a bunch of people that loved God that were calling out to God from Egypt. He didn't show up in Egypt. Could he have? Yes. Did he? No. He showed up out there on the back side of the desert. Opportunity. Oh, some of, some, of, some of y'all been dragging a dead weight through the desert for years. And I want you to understand that it may be that dragging that weight has built strength and fortitude and life in you and that all God's waiting on is for your attitude to change about it. Click. And maybe, just maybe, His love will intervene and change the circumstance. But if his love doesn't intervene and change the circumstance, that doesn't mean God is bad. That means he has something better in mind for you. How about Gideon? You know the story of Gideon. The story of Gideon's awesome. Gideon was from the smallest tribe in Israel, and he was the least member of his family. And he said, me? An angel shows up and say, hey, man of valor. And he was hiding when he said it to him. Go read it. He was hiding. He's over there shaking, hiding. And an angel says up, hey, tough guy. I'm not very tough. Me? I'm from the smallest family, from the smallest tribe. And I'm the weakest person in my family. Are you sure you got the right guy, God? And you know what? God was absolutely looking for him because his weakness was an opportunity for God to show his strength. And he didn't make his weakness go away. Right? It was an opportunity for God. You and I are an opportunity for God. To do what? How did Paul say it? Through my weakness, I am strong in Christ. Or His strength shows up in my weakness. What's he saying? Well, if I do anything that has any redeeming value, it's God that's doing it. And our weakness and our inability and our mortality is designed that when we're working with God, it's designed to show people God. See? And we want to say like Moses. Moses is like, I don't want to do that, God. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I can't talk. You want me to go talk to who? Pharaoh. I I can't. I can't. I can't. God asked him to do the thing that he was worst at. Why? So that God could be the show-off and not Moses. Isn't that cool? How about Elijah? 1 Kings 17, 17 through 23. Elijah has this widow and this widow's son dies, right? How many of you have kids? You want your son to die, your daughter to die? No, I mean, can we think of anything worse? Absolutely not. But this widow's son's death 
was an opportunity for God to raise the dead. And the only difference between us knowing about this widow and the billions of other mothers and people that have had relatives die was this opportunity was seized upon. See that? How about this one? Let's look at David. David in Acts 13. Let's go run it. Run and look at this because I am closing. I'm trying to close. I'm evangelistically speaking and doing the guest speaker close five times before I actually end. <laughs> I'm okay. Oh! I didn't hear that, I didn't hear that, I didn't hear that. For your sake, I didn't hear that. I got to feel like I hurry so that I'll... Uh, okay, look. Acts chapter 13, verse 20. All this took place about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. And then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, the son of Kish of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled for 40 years. And after removing Saul, he made David king he made David their king. He testified concerning him. Oh, this is extraordinary to me. I get excited. I've already read this and said this three times this morning, and I'm still genuinely excited about it. Who's testifying about who? Hello, y'all. Okay, let's read it again. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him. Who's testifying about who? God is testifying about a man in a positive way. God says some stuff about people. We just read about it. You know, God said about the people in Noah's day. He was testifying about them, but it was a negative testimony. But this one's not negative. This one's positive. I'm just a sinner saved by grace, and I can't do anything right. Well, if that was the case, then David wouldn't be in here and God talking about him like he is. We are sinners saved by grace. But the power of God is in existence for us to seize the opportunity that is there to be transformed into the likeness of His Son. See? How many of you have ever prayed for an opportunity for God to work in your life? Raise your hands. Okay, everybody say, problems or opportunities. How many of y'all maybe had one problem in your life? Raise your hand. See, we did this again, right? You had a problem before you got saved? You have a problem after you got saved? Life is a problem, right? There you go. God has drowned you in opportunities. Right? As a matter of fact, they don't even have to come to God. Life by itself is going to give you the opportunity. And because you meet God, all you got to do is seize the opportunity that has come upon you. Because look. God is testifying about this man, David. Oh, just think about it. Well, you know what? God's going to testify about me and he's going to testify about you. It's coming. All of eternity is going to know our story. There's no way to hide. We will give an account for every idle word, the Bible says. That means that all of our actions, all of our attitudes, all of our words, they're recorded. In Revelation chapter 20 talks about the books in heaven, you know. And the one we, we want to make sure we're in is the Lamb's Book of Life. But there's other books there too. And they're all opened. And God's going to ask us about stuff that's written in those books. That means that, see, we have a great example in David, don't we? We also have an example in the people of Noah's day. And this thing is full of examples. People's stories. Right? Everybody with me? Guess what? He's making your life in my life, an eternal example. And there's one difference between... So for some of us, we're going to end up a bad example. Some people end up bad examples. Anybody understand that's the truth? Alright, I don't want it to be so, but some people sitting in here might end up bad examples. That's not our aim, but law of percentages and averages say that's going to happen. Alright? Also, some people in here, your life is going to end up a good example. Do you know who determines which one you land in, in the end? 
You do. I do. Our attitude determines whether we end up being a good example or a bad example. Why? Because look right here. Saul made David a king. Let's see. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him. I have found David. You know what? This is astonishing. This excites me. You know, this excites me more than anything else. How could David be found by God? Because God was out there looking. And God is still looking. It says in Zechariah that his seven eyes search all of the earth for the righteous. Right? God's looking. The fact that he's looking is our opportunity to be found. Everybody say, That's exciting. If that don't excite you, you're dead. You need to get saved today. God's looking and that opens the door. If he's not looking, no one can be found because he's all powerful and he can't be wrong. If he's not looking, nobody will be found. But he is looking and everybody can be found. That's the point. It's all how you look at it. Ain't it? Isn't it? I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Whoo, that's big time. It doesn't say he did everything I told him to do. There's a difference between doing what your dad tells you to do and what your dad wants you to do. How many raised kids again? You ever had things you told them to do? You ever have things that you want them to do that you don't tell them? All right, how does it make you feel when they do what you want them to do and you never said nothing about it? That's my boy right there. That makes me want to run around this auditorium like a crazy man. That's my boy. That's my daughter right there. And you take pictures. Oh, there goes the water. You take pictures and you tell everybody until I know he, he did this. He won that. He blah, blah. I got it. And you drive everybody crazy over how you make your son or daughter seem like the greatest thing ever. You don't think God doesn't have that function with us? The same thing works. He's got stuff He wants us to do. He's also got stuff He's told us to do. And what is it that determines whether we do what He wants us to do? It's our attitude. Attitude is a thing that drives the inclination of the heart. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Thankful. Gratitude. See the opportunity. Well, I've been praying for God to come to my house and fix my thing. I I want Him to come and get me out of this desert. But He's left me here. How many of you have ever thought like that? Maybe you're in a situation like that. You just feel like you've been forgotten that God doesn't even know. You know what I'm talking about? Well, there's an example. See, the Bible, there's no answer that the Bible, that, that, there's no question that the Bible doesn't answer. Let's look at Luke 8, and I'm closing with this. Y'all okay? Y'all supposed to eat lunch before you got here because this is a late service, so... You know, where I grew up, you know, we, uh, mom put a roast in the oven when we left to go to church. And all the ladies from the Ladies' Aid Society would get really upset because the long-winded preachers would turn them roasts into jerky if they (laughs) kept everybody. (laughs) But I don't got to worry about this because it's already almost 2 o'clock. (laughs) <laughs> Luke eight forty. This is a famous story, and I want to leave you with this thought. Because we really got to get this. This has everything to do with attitude. And we, want, we, we feel lost when we don't feel God responding particularly to us in our situation. And it's attitude that makes us see God from that perspective. So, you know this story. 
It's Luke 8:40. It says, Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. And then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the, cra- the crowds almost crushed him. Okay, so get that picture. Was the crowd tight around him or not? They almost crushed him, the scripture says. You think it would be hard to get to somebody in the middle of a crowd that was packed so tight around him that they were almost crushing his bones? Doesn't that, doesn't that, that seem right? It would be hard to fight your way through a crowd that tight packed. Okay? And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. I find this extraordinary. She had this sickness, this debilitating, weakening sickness for 12 years, right? She was not strong. How did she have the strength to fight her way through this tight-packed crowd to get to Jesus? Did Jesus know she was there? Who touched me, Jesus said. He didn't know she was there. Who was that? Who touched me? Power left me. Something happened. Who was it? (laughs) Me. You see, why was Jesus in that particular spot at that time? Where was he going? He was going to fix Jairus' problem, which we know that Jairus' daughter, she was sick when he talked to him. She died when Jesus was in transit. Is this a bad problem? Yep. So Jairus' horrible problem was the woman with the issues of bl- issue of blood's opportunity. But Jesus, he didn't know she was even there. Even when she touched him, he didn't know she was there. Don't you see? She fought her way to her opportunity before it could go by. Don't you think she probably felt alone maybe one time in that 12 years? She was a Jew, a Jewess. They were taught to seek God. You don't think she wasn't asking and pleading with God to respond to her? But God didn't come to her house and knock on her door. But she recognized her opportunity and fought to Jesus. What can enable her to do that? Attitude. Right? Attitude. So, for those of us who at times feel like God's left us in the desert and He doesn't care, maybe we should think about this story and grit our teeth and be thankful for the opportunity that we're in that Jesus opened when He died on the cross and fight our way through the press to get to Him and sneak up on him and surprise him because we came out of nowhere. Right? See, look, y'all. It doesn't matter the origin of the circumstances that you're in. Yes, it does say you reap what you sow. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap destruction. And that is your fault. When you do that, when I do that, when we sow to the flesh, we got trouble. But even that, if Jesus leaves you breathing, He's saying, I'm still working with you. The door is still open. The opportunity is still there. It's not too late till you stop breathing. This is the dressing room for eternity. And He's still looking. And we are God's opportunity for Him to find something that He wants. And that's love relationship. Let's respond to Him. And we can't work through this life until we change the way we think about everything that happens to us. Not just circumstances, but other people. The other people, that's the worst part. Right? Because there's lots of folks that you don't want to be thankful for. <laughs> Y'all, can't, do we see? We got endless opportunities from God every day. So, I wish, wish God would give me the opportunity. He has. 
See the one that's right here in your face. Everybody say, problems and opportunity. Problems and opportunity. So if life is just full of problems, life really is full of opportunities. Y'all stand up and let's pray. Prayer team, come up here, please. I'm going to pray and then turn it over to Pastor Ross. Um, I want to pray for everybody. And then uh, these people will pray with you. We have an opportunity right now. Some of you, have, you need to just turn over your life to Jesus. Today is your opportunity to meet Him and start your relationship with Him. Maybe you've strayed away from Him because of whatever because of circumstances, because of mean Christians, because of, because of, because of, because of hypocrites, because those, all those things, instead of being a curse in your life, if you'll change the way you think about them, they'll turn into your opportunity to have an extraordinary new beginning. Because God loves you. And the existence of circumstances don't mean that God doesn't love us. He loves you. He loves me. So let me pray for you, and then I'll turn it over to Pastor Ross. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you send the Holy Spirit, person by person, heart to heart, mind to mind, soul to soul, spirit to spirit. It's one thing to realize that this is the truth. It's another thing to appropriate the truth. And that's what we desperately need your power for. And Father, so many of us in here say, I do have a bad attitude. I don't want to have a bad attitude. I need your power to help me change my attitude. And begin to see the silver lining around this hurricane. That is my life. Help me see it, God. Father, help us see it. Help us change our worldview, the way we see others and the way we see the circumstances that we're in. None of us are mistakes. And our time in history is not a mistake. You purpose to put us where you have, when you have, how you have. Father, help us yield. Help us submit to you so that we can see the wonderful opportunities that you've given us to be transformed in the likeness of your Son. In Jesus' name.